God the Father, we pray that you would minister to our hearts and minds this morning. Show us that you are, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, are all in all. Be that for us today, Lord. Be our sufficiency. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, Incarnation. Well, today we're going to be uh, taking a bit of a break from our Gospel of Luke series, and we're just going to kind of hit the pause button before Holy Week, um, which begins uh, on Palm Sunday in one week. And uh, before we enter into that meditation on the cross that we're going to hear about uh, next Sunday and, and on Good Friday, we thought it would be edifying to just hit the pause button and consider what is the meaning behind this story, behind this cross that we're about to hear about. Um, and that brings us to our passage today in Philippians chapter 3. And really today is going to be a little bit more of a Bible study than a sermon, or like maybe more like a half Bible study, half sermon, or like, a, like maybe like a, like a Bible study and sermon sandwich where the sermon is the bread on the, on the front and the back end. All right. Um, you following me? All right, so if you'll please um, turn to Philippians 3, which is on um, page 981. You'll definitely need your text this morning. And uh, we'll, we'll sort of set the stage for, for your time of Bible study um, by walking through the first few verses. So if you're there with me, say amen. Amen. All right. That's a lot of you. So Paul begins in verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers. Um, and actually, we could add and sisters. I mean, this isn't like a gender-specific encouragement. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. This is, this is Paul's favorite word in the book of Philippians. And he said it several times in chapters 1 and 2. And he'll go on in chapter 4.4. 4, he'll go on to say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Right? Why does Paul keep repeating himself on this point? He explains himself. He says, to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me. And is safe for you. In other words, it's for their benefit that he's repeating himself. Not just because it's like his favorite word or phrase. I probably don't need to tell you that Jesus in the Gospels actually repeats himself in several places. Take up your cross and follow him. That faith is what heals us. That the greatest commandment is to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The best teachers repeat their most important points for the benefit of those who listen. There's this beautiful story about uh, John the Apostle, who lived the longest among the twelve. And uh, when he was in his 80s or 90s, he couldn't move very well, but, but he would kind of be transported from congregation to congregation. And it was said that as he would go from congregation to congregation, he would just say to all of them, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. He'd take them to a new congregation, he'd say, little children, love one another. And um, after putting up with this for a while, a frustrated young man finally asked him, Why do you keep repeating yourself? And the elderly apostle answered, Because if you only love one another, you fulfill the law of Christ. That's, that's, that's his swan song, the apostle John. He, he wants them to remember that we are to love one another. 
This is a good reminder for us that the most important messages deserve to be repeated over and over. The gospel, what the scriptures calls the good news, is not just like a message for evangelizing non-believers that like we kind of like graduate from when we become Christians. It's good news that even mature disciples need to let wash over them daily. Brothers and sisters, never grow weary of rejoicing in the gospel of the Lord. But after this encouraging introduction, Paul moves on to more controversial matters. He warns in verse 2, he says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And here Paul is warning about these false teachers who are traveling around and perverting the gospel. Their message was that circumcision was necessary for salvation. So, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, they say, but then you need to get circumcised. So they demanded all of their adult male converts be circumcised. Can you imagine that? Yeah. (laughs) But in making this demand, Paul says that they were implicitly saying that you need more than faith in Christ to be saved. It was a gospel plus message. The gospel plus circumcision. The gospel plus works of the law. The gospel plus a Jewish pedigree. And Paul says that this message was really no gospel at all. Notice that Paul uses some harsh language toward these opponents. And actually, he's using their own language against them. There were some in the Jewish community at that time that referred to Gentiles as dogs. So there were these outsiders, and they were ridiculed as dogs. Paul is writing to this mostly Gentile uh, community of Christian converts, and he's saying um, that uh, he, he sort of turned this insult back on those who would insist on circumcision and says, they're the dogs. They're the evildoers, since instead of preaching the gospel, they simply mutilate the flesh. See, he says, I mean, even though Paul has been a pious Jew his whole life. He's saying, apart from the purposes of God, that's all circumcision is. It's a mutilation of the flesh. In fact, in Greek, Paul simply calls his opponents the mutilators. That's what he says. And he contrasts them with the circumcision, the true people of God, who, confusingly, are not circumcised. (laughs) Right, uh, So he says, we are the circumcision in verse 3, Paul says. And again, it's with some sense of irony, right? He, his point is that those who have put their faith in Christ are the ones who have been spiritually marked by God. Right? They're, they're, they've had their hearts circumcised. They've been received as God's own people. He says, we who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh... We're the ones who have received the circumcision that God requires of us. Circumcision was never intended as a substitute for trust in God. So if we trust in Christ, there's no need to put confidence in the flesh. That is, in the outward marks of conformity to the law. And this is the point in the passage where there's this shift. And Paul gets sort of autobiographical here. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also... If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, he says. And, um, and, and, and I just wonder aloud, so what is, 
What's Paul's point in mentioning this? Is it because he's just like being proud of himself? Or, you know, why does he use himself as an example? Why, do you, why is he doing that? Let me ask that question. Why is Paul pointing to his own pedigree here? Anybody have a thought or an idea? We're not used to doing this in the middle of a sermon. His resume couldn't be matched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his resume couldn't be matched. And so he's like, let me show you that my resume can't be matched so you guys will think that I'm awesome, right? Is that what he's up to? All right, let's, let's continue. The point is, is that, right, that Paul had the highest pedigree possible under the law of Moses, right? If the message of these false preachers were true, Paul would be the one who would benefit the most from their message, right? If there was, if there was, a, there, there was a heap, Paul would be standing on the top of it. If there was an opportunity for salvation under the law, Paul would have had it. If there was a contest of who is the most pure and observant Hebrew, Paul would have come in first place. All right, so we've come this far to set the context of this passage. Now I want to give you guys a chance to just reread verses 4 and 11 on your own, and I want you to consider these questions. Um, what reasons does Paul give for having confidence in the flesh? How would trusting in these things in his religious resume have been a contradiction of the gospel and according to this passage, what is the good news? So I just want you to reread verses 4 through 11 on your own in your, in your Bible. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. Like I said, it's part, part Bible study going on this one. Let's take a few minutes to do so. All right. Um, I just want to give you a chance to turn to your neighbor or maybe kind of in little clusters of three or whatever. And, uh, and discuss what you, what you think about these questions from what you just read. There's just a few minutes I'll give you. <clears throat> Touching on this a bit, um, Paul says uh, in verse 4, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Right? So um, what, what reasons does Paul give for his confidence in the flesh? All right? Just, just one at a time. You can call them out. What reasons does Paul give for having confidence in the flesh? Circumcised at the right time. Yeah, he was circumcised at, at the appointed day. Yeah. So he's, he's fulfilled the law. He, he, he wasn't circumcised later in life. The law says that you should circumcise, uh, you know, your son on the eighth day. So, yeah. Lineage to Benjamin. Uh, lineage to Benjamin. Yeah, he's, he's of this, he's of this uh, official tribe of Israel, right? Not like these Gentile converts who want to come in. And no matter what they do, they're not going to be a, one, of the, one of the 12 original tribes. But Paul is. What else? Blameless <laughs> under the law. Blameless under the law. Yeah, I mean, I, I do we believe Paul on that one? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think he'll clarify later in the book of Romans that that uh, that all fall short of the glory of God. But I think his point is that um, for all intents and purposes, he would have looked more righteous and more holy than any of these people, right? You know, he and it even says that he was a Pharisee. I mean, he was he was. You know, of this specific religious class of people that everyone looked up at as being especially holy, especially righteous. 
So he's like, I mean, by by these standards, just blameless. Like, what do you, what do you, you know? What 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 more could you want, right? What else? He was a persecutor of the church, yeah. I mean, he's like, you know, if you really, like, kind of want to take a stand in such a way that you're going to, you know, kind of make the leaders of the temple proud, you know, then you would know that this, like, counter, you know, this sort of, like, messianic movement hasn't been approved by them. And I was so zealous that I was actually persecuting them. I was actually killing them, right? That's what we learn about Paul, that he was... He was um, uh, a violent religious extremist, um, but the, he was in the mainstream. You know, he was in the mainstream in, in that. All right. Um, well, Paul has a pretty good resume. <laughs> he he could add that he studied under the greatest teacher uh, in all of Israel. You know, he he went to he went to the Hebrew Harvard uh, of his day, and but. How would trusting in these things in his religious resume have been a contradiction of the gospel? Let's just put this in our own words. Yeah. Nothing you can do for me can even the scales of sin. Okay. So nothing you can do or be can even the scales of sin. So you're kind of thinking of... Okay, yeah. So you're thinking of kind of like good deeds, bad deeds. Like we, we kind of lost that one already? Is that what you mean by scales of sin? Yeah. Okay, so it's a contradiction in that the gospel is uh, is a gift we receive. Not something you earn. Yeah, it's not something you earn. Yeah, okay. So it's a contradiction in that sense. What, how else is it a contradiction of the gospel? Yeah, Jess. Because everybody sins, God doesn't care about that you, is, is that, you, all right. Um, that's, that's a, hey, hey, no, let, let's talk about this. Because everybody sins and God doesn't care about that. Let's talk a little bit about this. Um, I think there's some real insight there, but let's let's kind of press into that. Is that the gospel that everybody sins and God doesn't care about that? Who 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 wants to speak into that? Let's let's polish that up a little bit. Yeah. God does care about it, so that's why He had to come to Earth and pay the sacrifice for it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So everybody sins is true, as Paul says. Yeah. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and, and Paul is quoting from the Psalms in that, like, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, and there are none that are righteous, no, not one, he says, right? And, uh, and so when it comes to this holy, luminous, righteous, loving being and where he dwells forever, can we dwell with that God without being incinerated? No. <laughs> no, we can't because there are, we're, we're not righteous, we're not holy, we can't enter that. But God cares. He, he cares so much about uh, about sin. Um, he cares so much about forgiving us and making us righteous. That you know, He cares so much about. I mean, man, the, the evil atrocities we're seeing in the world, and the selfishness that we show towards other people, and all the ways in which we said, "I should be your God," or "I'm going to be my own God." All these things, God cares about them so much that He's willing to. You know, come down from glory and bear, uh, and bear uh, that on the cross in His own innocent person. Yeah. Any, anybody else? Anybody else want to comment on this? How would trusting in these things that Paul lays out in his religious resume have been a contradiction of the gospel? I was just saying, um, I feel like 
Okay, yeah, by, by depending, by trusting in your own goodness, you're, you're sort of reserving that trust over there, but what, what, you, what you're in, supposed to be trusting is in the righteousness of Christ. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I mean, there is, there's an offense to the message of the cross, isn't there? Paul, calls, Paul, Paul actually uses that phrase elsewhere. In, in Galatians 5, he talks about the offense of the cross. And he means that the message of the cross is actually an offense to our pride. Right? Because we want to say, we did it. We saved ourselves. Or like we contributed the missing ingredient. Right? I mean, as, as Bob Marley sang, emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our mind. I mean, that's not just Bob Marley. That's the song we sing. That's the song we want to sing. It's all about self-salvation. C.S. Lewis, um, there's this story where um, there's all these you know, professors in Oxford, and they're talking about um, what's the thing that makes Christianity different from other world religions. And they're kind of like debating back and forth what it might be. And, uh, and then C.S. Lewis walks in, and, and, they, and they say, um, Clive, you know, Jack, um, what, what, what's, what's the difference between Christianity and other religions? And uh, apparently he just answered right there, like no hesitation. He just said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. Now think about that for a second. Oh, that's easy. It's grace. Right? Because there's a sense, and this is true, man. Study the world religions. I, did, I, I got a degree in this, all right? You study these world, you, you study, and it's on my resume. <laughs> there's a sense in which all other systems of human thought, all other religions are saying, um, you do the right thing, you say the right thing, you act the right way, you have the right resume in God or the gods or the Tao or, or, the, or, or, or whatever. The, the sort of spiritual power behind all things will bless you. And that's, that's a contradiction to the gospel. You know, the gospel actually gets at the other round. That, that's, not on, that's not only what other religions say. That's the spirit of our age. You know? This, this, this sort of karma spirit. You know, the world says, if you do these things, if you present yourselves in these certain ways, if you're a perfect ten... You know, if your Facebook profile looks good enough, I'll friend you. You know, if you look hot enough, I'll want to date you. Right. I mean, this is this is the world that we live in. And but the gospel says, right, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right. The gospel says that God so loved the world. That he gave his only son while we were yet sinners. All right, here's a, here's a follow-up question. Does Paul believe that you can believe in Christ without living for him? In other words, can Christ be your Savior without being your Lord? Have you ever heard that Lord and Savior distinction? What do you think? This is a genuine question. Absolutely not. You, you say no. Why do you say no, Kevin? Because they said that if you love me, you obey my commands. 
If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Okay, yeah, all right, there, there's a good verse for that, yeah. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and his brother. Yes, yes, that's right. You can see him actively abandoning his pedigree for the pursuit of Christ. Yeah, okay. Nice and loud for us, Cassie. But isn't this a contradiction of the gospel, guys? I mean, we're saying that you can't, he can't be your Savior without being your Lord. I mean, isn't that, isn't that a contradiction of the gospel? If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Like, isn't that just another way of saying that we earn our status in heaven? How, how are we not saying that when we're saying these things? But you'll want to obey. It'll be a natural desire. Why will you want to obey? Why will it be a natural desire? Because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you? Okay. But I do believe that you can be saved without obeying. Yeah, I mean, the, the thief on the cross didn't get much of a chance to obey the commands, did they? You know, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. Do I think that salvation proceeds? No, you could say that salvation proceeds. So salvation like, proceeds. Yeah. Okay, what do you mean by that? So it, it's a motivator. It's, it's like the fuel by which we, we obey Jesus. Okay. It's not as if somehow our obedience fuels our salvation. Yeah. Okay, so salvation comes first, and then the obedience follows that. Or, or as Scripture puts it another way, we love Him because He first loved us. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? Right? He's saying you, your status it was, not, was not gained for you by your obedience. Your status was a gift of God. Just like when Peter was reading about the Israelites, they were receiving the promised land. Did you guys listen to that reading from Deuteronomy 9? He says, when you come into this land, don't say to yourself, it's because of our righteousness. It's because of our goodness that we're entering into this land. You know, he says, don't, 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 don't fool yourselves, right? You're a stubborn people. So the, the, the entrance into, into uh, the eternal land, right, is also an entrance by grace. God chose them graciously to be his possession. And then what does he want them to do? He wants to, them to respond. He wants them to live out of that loving, uh, that, the fact that God first loved us. <laughs> there are three terms that I want us to think about a little bit this morning. Um, I told you I, I wanted us to wrestle with this a little bit, to talk it through a little bit. Um, the word salvation, there's kind of three words that tend to be used. Um, you know, that, that this connotation that the word salvation has, has three different like denotations in, in the New Testament. Um, the first is justification. So, all of this is under the, the subheading, uh, under the heading of salvation. First word is justification. That means that when when Christ 
makes us holy, makes us righteous, when his sacrifice is counted as good for us, when, when he gives us the right status, when he reconciles us to God, when he purchases us from slavery, right? When his sins have atoned for, I mean, when, when his cross has atoned for our sins, we receive this status of righteousness that, that Martin Luther calls, he says it's an alien righteousness. And he doesn't mean like, uh, you know, like, um, you know, space aliens. He means it's coming from outside of us, right? That, that that status is given to us by virtue of Christ, not by virtue of our works. And so when we're justified, and how are we justified in this passage? How are we justified? Huh? Yeah, by, by faith. Right? That's, that's what Paul says in this passage. Right? It's, uh, if, we, if we look at um, verse 9. Actually, let's, um, let's back up to verse 7. He says, But whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I mean, which basically just means I threw away my resume. <laughs> right? Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Actually, a better translation of the Greek for that is dung or crap. In order, I, the reason why I count them as crap is so that I might gain Christ. Because if I trust in the crap, I'm not going to gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but an alien righteousness, right? That comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on what? Faith. And faith is not a work. Faith is just us receiving the finished work of God. <laughs> that's, that's what faith is. And so that's, that's what starts. We can't get the order mixed up. That's what starts this whole chain. God loved us. We love him because he first loved us. The next thing that, that Paul wants to talk about oftentimes under this heading of salvation is sanctify. Sanctification. That's making things holy. You sprinkle something um, that, that you're going to use in the temple. That consecrates it for a holy purpose. And so the point is, is that... God doesn't just want to just give us this, this gracious status that we say, okay, well, I have, I have this alien righteous, I have this status. He wants us to actually be transformed. As Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, from one degree of glory to the next. He actually wants to transform us. He, he wants to see us be transformed. He wants to see us be more like his son. And that's this process in life that, that's referred to as sanctification. Right? And, um, and uh, if you think you've completed that process, then you think you've gotten farther than the Apostle Paul. Because what does he say in verse 12? Reading on a little bit from what we read today. Not that I have already obtained all this or am already made perfect, right? But I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Right? I press on for sanctification because Christ has already made me his own in my justification. Do you hear that? He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've already made it my own. I don't consider that I've graduated from the school of sanctification. 
I know some of you guys are students on campus, and campus preachers will come, and they'll tell you that they're perfect. There are people who will preach this heresy, and they'll say, if you're not perfect, you're not saved. Because everybody who's saved, everybody who's justified is fully sanctified. Apparently, Paul didn't believe that. Right? And apparently, they're claiming a level of sanctity that Paul himself did not have. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting the sins that I committed in my youth, forgetting my past rebellions with God, and also forgetting those things that I used to trust in for my own righteousness instead of the righteousness of Christ. Forgetting all that. It's all crap. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I strain forward. I do. Hold on a second, Paul. Pressing on and straining forward? Isn't this a contradiction of the gospel? No, because Christ has already made him his own. And, and uh, you know, the, as, as Richard Foster says, the gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. He's not doing this so that God will love him and accept him. He's doing this because God has loved him and, and has accepted him. And so it's this response. It's this response of gratitude to God. This is a great passage for understanding these three terms. I'll just mention one more. And then I'm going to preach for 45 more minutes. <laughs> Salvation includes our justification. He first loved us. Our sanctification we press on, we strain forward, we strive for the kingdom, as Jesus would say, actually, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul would say. Even that, there's the grace of God is at work, even in our sanctification. It's not like, oh, I saved you, now it's all up to you. Um, but then also, this third word, glorification. And that's when the process of salvation is finished, that's when the process of salvation is consummated, when we begin to share in the glory of God, and that, that's, a, that's a little bit like, hey, this would sound like heresy if it wasn't in Scripture, right? Verse 20, page 982. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the second coming. Technically speaking, this is when we're saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from the coming wrath of the judge of the world, of his righteous judgment of the earth. We're saved from that. When Jesus returns, and, and, and what's he going to do at that, at that point? We say this every week in the creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. He says, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things uh, all things to himself. So in other words, we are going to shine. We are going to be radiant. We are going to be radiant, not just like because we're participating in the nature of God, but because we're going to have the radiance that's befitting full humanity, created in the image of God, that the full image of God will be restored. And in this period of sanctification, which Paul describes elsewhere as this like battle between the spirit and the flesh, in Galatians 5, and he's saying, like, crucify the flesh, cultivate the things of the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. There's this kind of tension. And it's like, sometimes we're winning, sometimes we aren't. And Paul is saying, but you have the authority to walk in newness of life, because your old self has already been put to death. 
Well, when we're glorified, there's no longer any tension. Because we're given, our, 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 our will and our spirit and all this sort of stuff are so predominated. Our flesh is so predominated. We're given new bodies by the things of God that, um, that, that we're able to perfectly worship him, perfectly have fellowship it, it, with him, um, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So these, these three words, this is going to help you, I hope, when you read scripture to kind of know, hey, all these words have to do with our, with our salvation. We're justified. God has made us his own. We're sanctified. We press on by the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the last day, those who trust in Christ will be glorified forever. We'll be given everlasting selves. I want to I, I open it up for questions, but if you have any questions about that, ask me afterwards. Let me just... Let me just conclude... Um, by talking a little bit what we started with, which is um, the grace of God. If we get these things mixed up, then everything gets mixed up. If we put sanctification ahead of justification, then we have a different religion altogether. And it's not the gospel. It's really no gospel at all. And you might think that all this is just like a bunch of theology and the Protestant reformers like Martin Luther from Germany or Thomas Cranmer in England, they just got like worked up over all these sort of words for no reason. And these were just silly divisions that made no difference in everyday life. But ask yourself, (laughs) what is the difference that you have two children? What's the difference between a child who grows up in a household and they know no matter what, my parents love me. They already love me. They've always loved me. And they're calling me to obey, and they're calling me to to live by the rules of the household and to respect my brothers and sisters, but they always love me. And, 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 And I'll never be able to shoo away their love. It'll always be there. Between that child and the child where the parents are like, you show me the right performance, you do the right thing, and then I'll love you. And then I'll affirm you. What do you think the difference between those children would be? Right? There's a spiritual deformation that happens when we get the gospel wrong. That's what happens in our life. That's what happens in, in our interactions with Almighty God. I'll tell you what this looks like. I, the, um, there, in 1995, uh, Alanis Morissette, she released this painfully honest album called Jagged Little Pill. And, and for those of you uh, who, who were old enough at the time, you'll know that she was, for probably a, a, at least a couple of years, the biggest star in the world. I mean, you, I mean, it sounds crazy now because, like, who's Alanis Morissette? You know, has a, but for a couple of years, she was probably the biggest star in the world. You know, you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing one of her, like, seven or eight hit songs that were on the radio. I mean, like, you just couldn't get away from her. But one of the lesser-known cuts from that album is a song called Perfect, about her relationship with her parents and their expectations of her as she was growing up as a child actor and a music star. And and, uh, the song goes like this. Sometimes is never quite enough. If you're flawless, then you'll win my love. Don't forget to win first place. Don't forget to keep that smile on your face. 
Be a good girl. Try a little harder. That simply wasn't good enough to make us proud. See, the world says, be lovable and I'll love you. But the gospel says, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love God because he first loved us. And I was, as I was working out this sermon, I was sitting on this bench in Lake Ella, and I, I was literally writing this part of the sermon. And this little five-year-old girl walks up to me and interrupts me. I'm like, I'm on my computer. And she gives me this. This Hershey bar. <laughs> and uh, she goes, excuse me, um, here, do you, can, you, can I give you this? I said, sure. And it has a little note on it. It says, smile, you're beautiful, God. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally working out this part of the sermon. <laughs> I just looked at her and I was just like, oh I'm like, you're beautiful. <laughs> God loves you. God created you in his image. You know, her parents are 15 feet away or whatever. She didn't say anything else. They didn't preach anything else to me. They just like kind of gave up, came up and gave me this, right? She gave it to me. I didn't earn it at all. <laughs> Right? I, I had no claim on her or her time or her money or her parents' money or whatever that she should purchase this blessing for me. It came totally out of nowhere. It was sheer grace. If we understand the message of the gospel, we understand that we are saved by sheer grace. Not by our performance, not by our religious resume. And we'll crucify our pride that resists the offense of the cross. Perhaps we say to ourselves, well, at least I'm a good person. And we trust in that instead of trusting in the cross. Perhaps we say, well, I don't claim to be a saint, but at least I'm real. At least I'm not some kind of hypocrite. At least I'm honest. That's just another resume. We say, well, at least I value the things that Jesus valued, like the poor and the outcast. That's just another resume. Perhaps we say, well, my parents are Christians, and I've always been a Christian all my life, and I've never really done anything bad. That's just a resume. Have you put your trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, these things are rubbish. They're all tainted with selfishness and pride, and none of this will avail you anything on Judgment Day unless you've put your faith in Christ. Unless you've rejected self-righteousness and been covered with the righteousness of God. Unless you've embraced the offense of the cross and crucified the pride that comes with believing that you have contributed to your own salvation. And so as we look toward Palm Sunday next week, we're reminded of the story of the cross, maybe for the 300th time, maybe for the first time. And I urge you in Jesus' name, in preparation for that, to crumple up your spiritual resume and throw it away. And come and hear what God has done for you. I want to close by singing this hymn together, uh, a few verses from a hymn that the great hymn writer Charles Wesley said that he would have given up all his hymns to have written this one called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It's a meditation on 
Philippians 3. Please stand. We'll sing this together. And then whoever's leading us in prayer can just come up immediately and begin to lead us. Oh, that's right. Well, then we'll stick to the first verse. <laughs> when I survey. 